You sound worse tonight. But like better worse. Welcome to Writing in Real Life, a podcast about parenthood, writing, marriage, and publishing. I'm Morgan Baden. With me is my co-host and my husband, Barry Liga. Hello, everybody. It's a great holiday weekend. It is. Labor Day weekend. Yeah, that's when we're recording this. And it's, an, it's a very exciting week for me, too, because I finished my book this week. I mean, it's so funny. You and I were talking because uh, I finished, I think, Tuesday night? I yeah. think it was Tuesday night. We're recording on Saturday. Yeah. And, uh, and I came out into the living room and I was like, I'm done. And you said something about like, oh my God, how does it feel? Blah, blah, blah. And I was like, what's most interesting is that I felt, I felt good, but the excitement actually happened like a week and a half ago. Because for me, once I saw the, the ending there. Once you realize. Yeah. Like yeah. once you say, oh, I really only have X, Y, and Z left to do. Like I know the beats of the, the end of this book here and that's all I have. I'm done. And so, um, so it's not that it was a premature celebration, but it was like, uh Oh, I don't know. You know, I got excited about it back then. That's like, that's like when I finished writing my most recent book, the Uh one that, that I just sold, I had written the end months before I finished the book. So what the, the day that I finished the book, I didn't realize that day I was going to finish it. Yeah. And it sort of caught me by surprise. (laughs) So I went, Oh wait, hang on. Now this piece connects to this piece. Insert, slot yeah. you know tab a into slot b and it was done and i was like oh and it was sort of anticlimactic right. in a way because there was no triumphant moment of now i'm finished it was right. just oh it's done yeah. yeah well i'm glad you said that about being anticlimactic because i remember um several years ago when you and i were first dating so maybe about six months into it or so that's i think when i finished uh my first my other manuscript ah, the one yes. that got me my agent right and I remember sitting at the table in your apartment at the time, your long, skinny railroad apartment, and I finished it, and I burst into tears. I don't know if you remember this. I'm having trouble. You'd think I'd remember something <laughs> like that, but I don't remember it. I mean, I got, like, really emotional. Wow. And uh, we talked about it later, much later, I think, like years. And because... I was like, stop being such a girl. <laughs> no, but when I finished the first round, when I finished this book the first time around, I yeah. should say, two, three years ago... Um, I didn't get emotional like that. And I said something to you about, isn't that so weird that last time I, I mean, I literally started crying yeah. and this time I was like, Oh yeah, I'm done. Move right. on. Um, and you said that you thought that that was a good sign that, well, I was just thinking, I think that's a good sign. There you go. So yeah. can you expand on that? Well, I mean, I think it shows that I, I, I think probably you had that emotion because whether consciously or not, I think there was a part of you that was like, can I actually do this? Yes. Can I finish yeah. this? Yeah. Even though you had ghostwritten books, that's a little well, different. And I had finished a book and you had, before, I, well, I was about actually, to say, yeah. and I know you had done another book, but you have been very upfront and very honest about your assessment of that book. Right, yeah. It's one thing, you know, I mean, I wrote a book when I was in high school, but it was a piece of crap and right. it didn't make me think as an adult, Oh, I can write a book. Okay. I just knew I could write 300 pages. <laughs> I didn't That's know I could point. write a yeah. book. So I think you were probably in a similar situation. Yes. You had written this other book, but you don't feel good about it. So yeah. it doesn't really count. Yeah. It's just, I can write 300 pages yeah. in a row. You had ghostwritten some books, uh-huh. but that's somebody giving that's, you, right. you know, how to start. Well, it's not cheating, but you've got a leg up. Yeah. You know, you're, you're starting the race a little ahead of mm-hmm. the other people who are running. And so the other people in this case being other versions of you. 
And in this case, you ran the race on your own for the first time, yeah. you know, and finished it. And so, yeah, I think that's why you had this emotion when you did that. And I think the fact that when you did the second book, mm-hmm. you didn't have that emotion. Yeah, I think it just yeah. shows. Now you understand. No, I can do this. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm capable of doing this. This is something to be happy about, but it is not, you know, something unbelievable. It's not a miracle yeah. that it happened. I, I get it now. I can yeah. do it. Very, so that's great. Very Accurate analysis, I think. Thank you. You're um, welcome. But it does make me think... That'll be $5. <laughs> Wait, what is Lucy charging the car? Charlie Brown? No, I think it's five yeah. cents. Yeah. That's um, just the copay. She gets a kickback from the insurance companies. Do you, Barry Liga, feel differently every time you finish a book? Like, does, it, does your reaction at the end of a book you've written depend on how you feel about the book, whether you already have publishing plans for that book? Like, how do you feel? You know, it's weird because for the past... 10 years, almost everything I've written, there have been publishing plans. Yeah. It's either already been, I mean, for the most part, it's already been sold yeah. uh, for, mo- for most of the books. So it's usually just a sense of, oh, okay, that's done now. Um, you know, it's only later that I look back on it and I go, wow, I'm really sort of pleased with it or, oh, okay. gee, I, I need to go back and fix some things. Uh, usually there is, there's still sort of a sense of relief. Okay. You know, I mean, there are times where I'm like, I, I think I've written my last book. I'm never going to figure out how to do this again. <laughs> it's just too hard. It's too much work. Certainly back in, in January or February when I started writing yeah. the book that I just sold, there were long stretches of days where I thought, oh, I, I can't do this anymore. I don't know how to do this anymore. I've and heard then, some authors say that yeah. at literally every time they start a new book. Well, somebody once said that. You know, you finish writing a book and you think, okay, now I know how to write a book. Yeah. And now all you know is how to write the book you just finished writing. Yeah. You don't know, you don't, with the next one, you're starting from zero again. Yeah. And that's true because everyone is different, ideally, hopefully. All right. So, yeah, yeah. it's, you know, I usually, usually there's just a sense of relief. It's just, it really is sort of a sense of, oh, okay, I can still do this. Yeah. Like I, I had one more in me at least. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. I felt really... I think the last time around, so for the first version of this book, I was so eager to start querying and I remember. setting out. Yeah. And I, I thought it was done. I thought things were going to happen really well, quickly. And and right now, I feel kind of the opposite. Like, I want to, in a way, I almost want to hold this close to me a little bit longer. Like, I, huh. I don't, I'm not even thinking about that, them. Well, you know, in, in defense of past Morgan, historical Morgan, who wanted to send out the first draft right away... The folks in your writing group yeah. and me, yeah, yeah. we were all telling you, wow, this is amazing. This is great. And it, and it was. I mean, it was a terrific book. Uh, and it's so well written and the prose is so strong that I think we just missed some things. Mm. Because, I mean, I know in my case, when I first read it, yeah. I was so blown away by the power of the writing Aww. that there were some plot and pacing things uh-huh. that I just kind of skipped over, quite yeah, honestly, yeah. because I was just I was so absorbed in the writing itself. And it was only, I don't even remember, six months, a year later when yeah. I looked at it again, when you asked me to look at it again, that I went, oh, yeah, okay. Because I was able, yeah. I was still impressed by the writing, but it wasn't so new to me that it overwhelmed me. Yeah. And I was able to go, oh, okay, I see. It needs a nip here, a tuck there. Yeah. It needs this, it needs that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, definitely, you know, I, I, I think your eagerness to submit it last time, you came by it honestly. Yeah. You certainly had a lot of people around you who have done this professionally right. saying, wow, this is great, yeah. you know? 
Anyway, it's it's interesting looking at the differences. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so right now, um, I am putting together an agent list. Yes. And I looked at my old query and I wanted to throw it to a fire. It was wow. terrible. <laughs> <laughs> it's a wonder I got any full requests at all. <laughs> yeah. You got to look at it that way. That, that's it's how really you, funny. You got to look yeah. at it that way. Um, it's kind of like how, you know, when you look at pictures of 10 years ago and you're like, why did everyone wear that hairstyle? Right. That, didn't we all why know was how I bad dressed, it looked? Why was I dressed like that? Right. Yeah. That's how I felt about that queer later. Anyway, um, so I'm, I'm updating that, of course, and, and that's fun. And meanwhile, you read it today. I did. I sat down and I read it. And, and just uh, so the listeners know, by the way, Barry and I have not yet talked about yeah. his, his reaction to the book. Yeah, and we won't we won't really yeah, talk no, about it now, yeah. you know, but it is an interesting opportunity to talk about the fact that we do read and critique each other's yeah. writing, and yeah. yet we're still married. Huh. And you sort know. of the, the, the general trust and risk, right. I guess, that you take when you give someone you love something you've written. And especially when... You know, it's one thing, you know, there are a lot of relationships. I always get, I'm always tickled when I read about these authors who are married to somebody who isn't a writer, isn't remotely involved in storytelling. But they read and, but they everything. Read, but they read that person's work. And, and usually they're just an enthusiastic cheerleader, which is great. And you need that sometimes yeah. early on. But it's a little different when the person you're married to does what you do. Yeah. We've talked before about how, you know, you have your twin sister read something you wrote and her response is always, it's great. I love it. Literally 100% right. of the time. Morgan, I love it. I love it. Great. And, and <laughs> you know, in the meantime, you can have somebody who actually is a writer yeah. look at it and they will say, oh, it's good, but. Yeah. Yeah. And that's an interesting situation to be in. Yeah. And I remember... You know, when we were first dating, you read some of my stuff that had been published. Yeah. And that's one thing. But then there was that first time I gave you uh-huh. a manuscript yep. to read. And I thought, like, oh, my God, what is he expecting, like, a written report after this? What <laughs> I'm still I waiting for yeah. that written report, by the way. <laughs> no, but The book has been published, like... <laughs> but I'm waiting for the written report. You owe me a report. But, no, it's, it, it's a harrowing thing because... You know, you're very vulnerable anytime yeah. you let somebody read something that is in that raw state. Yeah. So there's that. And then also you want to be able to trust their response, mm-hmm. but you also have to remind yourself that this person loves you and ideally they're not going to try to hurt you. Right. You know, um, you know, I know of a husband wife publishing duo where one partner had written something and the other partner was in the very difficult position of having to say, you got to start over. Wow. This is not good. This is not right. And you know it. Yeah. And, you know, that has not happened with us, but it could happen someday. Yeah. And, you know, you just said something, which is, and you know it. Yeah. And I want to go back to that for a second. Sure. Because that is so true. And every book that I've written... That has gone nowhere. I've known that there are major flaws in it. Right. And there are very, obviously our brain tricks us into ignoring things or denying things or whatever. Or into papering it over to the extent that you go, I know that's wrong, but it's not a big deal. Yeah. I think initially too, there was this, um, this thinking of like, well, the editor will fix that. Yeah. Let me just sell the book first. That's right. the that's the editor's problem. That's sure. not mine. Um, it's always yours. It's always problem. yours. Yeah. So anyway, um, I think that's really important to uh, 
to constantly be doing gut checks as you're writing right. or revising because those gut checks are what's going to come back to haunt you. Well, like, also- you have to deal with them sooner or later, right? So deal with them sooner. I have two things to say about that. First of all, you know, I think I've told the story before of with my first book, when I turned it into my editor, I had, there were three spots in the book Mm -hmm. where I thought I had not done as well as I could have, but I convinced myself it's just, I was too close to the book. And when my editor sent me her revision, revision letter, those were the three things that she pointed out. Those were the three things. And I was like, son of a bitch. Like I should have listened to myself. So first of all, there's that. Second of all, I think that's why I am a big proponent of time. Yes. Write a book, put it away for as long as you can let it. And that's actually something I'm looking forward to doing now. Okay. Because since I've been writing on contract for the most part for a while with deadlines, I would write a book or a draft of a book and then I would give myself a little bit of time. And then I would go look at it and do a revision and give myself a little more time and do a revision and send it in or whatever. But there wasn't a lot of time between, between in in revising. And now that I'm not under contract for anything, I'm sort of looking forward to writing something and just letting it sit as long as I need it to. If it's six months, if it's a year, however long it is, let it sit before I go back to it. And look at it with new eyes and see how I feel about it. And that's really... Which is a luxury I don't usually have. It's a luxury, but it's also like, it's kind of cliche, right? But I I have to say, when I opened up this manuscript in January of this year, after not looking at it for an entire year, it it was like someone had pulled the wool from my eyes. Like, I, I was seriously like, I am seeing everything here that I didn't see a year ago. So, right. I was, I'm really grateful for that. I'm really grateful for not writing during my entire pregnancy. Yeah. I mean, I, I really think it's important. I mean, I, I think it is very important. I think you see things you wouldn't otherwise see yeah. good and bad. Yeah. You know, I mean, there's nothing, there is nothing more wonderful than the feeling of reading something that you wrote and being caught off guard by something really good. Yeah. You know, Uh like noticing a sentence that's just amazing or laughing out loud because something caught you off guard (laughs) and, and then realizing, wait, I wrote that. Yeah. That's a great feeling. That's a terrific feeling. So I think that, I think time is really important and I think a lot of would be writers don't want to take the time. They feel this urgency yes, and this impetus to move forward. And I understand that I am an enormously impatient person. As soon as I write a book, I want to push a button and have it out there and everybody can read it. Right. I don't want to wait to sell it. I don't want to wait for edits and copy edits and covers and marketing and all that crap. I just want to push a button and everybody can read it. Paula but, Cole is onto something. Yeah. Insert song. Insert song here. <laughs> um, Okay, so, yeah, so you and I will be talking about your thoughts to my book. Yeah. And um, I will update everyone as the querying process goes. Yeah. I'm yeah. hoping that, you know, by this time next week... Uh, It'll be sold. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> You'll read about it in Publishers Marketplace. Yeah. No, um, but I'm hoping that by a week from now or two weeks from now, um, I've, I've sent out, you know, my first query letter. So. That's awesome. So we'll see. Speaking of, by the way, you've never had to write a query letter, have you? No, that's not true. I have written query letters. Okay. I did write a query letter for Fanboy and Goth Girl. Okay. I never used it. Okay. Because I didn't have to. Yeah. Because I met my agent at a conference, at a conference okay. and, and seduced her, you know, in person. Do you ever feel like you're, you missed out? 
No, because I had written query letters for other novels okay. prior to Fanboy and Goth Girl, and I had that whole experience. Oh, okay. And had you know differing levels of success, got requests for partials, got yeah. requests for fulls, got some decent responses to the fulls. Um, so, no, I don't feel like I missed out, and okay. I hate writing query letters. The, the writing I was terrible. Really, really, I hate query letters. When I was submitting like short stories to publications, yeah. I hated writing cover letters. I hate that entire process. I hate synopses. Oh, a synopsis the is the worst thing. I'd, ra- I'd write 10 query letters before I wrote a yeah, synopsis. Yeah. I've always said I would rather tell you a story than sell you a story. Mm. But I do actually, in a weird way, there's something really exciting about the query process. It's nerve wracking and exciting, obviously. But um, I don't It's a really, It's this, it just feels like such a heightened time. So, and I don't know if that's just me being weird and, and Pollyanna, but I would love to hear what other writers think about it. Do you love the query process? Do you look forward to it? Are you excited once you start sending them out? Uh, or is it just constant nerves and heartbreak? I got to a point where when I was sending out queries and, uh, and I was submitting short stories, I used to call them requests for rejection. <laughs> please, Dear sir or madam, please reject this. I, on your I earliest very, very, very seriously considered... <laughs> At one point, including in my cover letter, a series of checkboxes that they could use. <laughs> Does not meet our needs at this time. You know, we're Does fully stocked, not yet. accepting submissions right now. <laughs> that sort of thing. You know, just, and there was a part of me that thought maybe they would find that clever right. and endearing yeah. and read a little further. And another part of me that was just like, you know, I might as well, I'm not getting accepted. I might as well just, yeah. just own it, you know? Yeah. So I never did that, but yeah. No, it, it's a strange process. You know, I haven't had to query anything in like 10 years. I did. My agent once said to me, this was a few years ago, she was going overseas to, I think, Frankfurt, to okay. the Frankfurt Book Festival. And she was going to be meeting with a bunch of foreign publishers. And she asked me to write a synopsis of one of my books that she was trying to sell. Okay. And I was so annoyed. Because I was like, I thought I was done writing synopses, you know? I thought I was done with this crap. And I had to write this synopsis, and I hated every minute of it because it was just miserable. They're not fun. Yeah, it's not fun at all. Anyway, let's move on to parenting. Sure. We, I think the biggest parent update right now is that we have, like, a real kid. Our child is insane. (laughs) Well, we already knew that. That's not an update. Yeah, that's true. No, but um, I was really struck the past few days in particular, she, I mean, she's a, she's been a person for a while, Sure. but like, as I sit, as she sits in the high chair and I feed her and we're all there together and having fun and talking and, and whatever, uh, like she is a, a little ball of energy in our well, house with us. And, and she's a child. That's the thing is like, like she points at things she wants. Right. She waves hello. She right. claps like, well, and let's not forget she can be petulant. Absolutely. There's food on her tray she doesn't Uh like. She will just take her hand and sweep it all off onto the floor. With with an expression on her face that says, do better next time, flunkies. (laughs) And, you know, so she's got a little attitude, too. she's like a comedian, which I've been reading a lot of articles recently, well, since becoming a mom, of about how babies really are comedians. They play tricks on people um, very early on, starting at like four or five months, I believe it was. And she's doing, I mean, she's always done that, but like, it's just so obvious now. And it's so fun. I mean, even tonight I was giving her her final bottle before bed 
and usually we're we're rolling around on the bed (laughs) on our bed um because she reads books and we we talk and she wants to practice walking and blah 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 so it's this whole like half hour process and you're walking back and forth outside of our bedroom door because you were cleaning up the kitchen and setting up dinner and everything and she kept thinking you were going to be playing a game with her right so she got really excited every time she saw you walk by and would look at me as if to say like oh my god mom what's he gonna do what's he gonna do and we just kept having this game and as you know i kept calling you in to to tease her because that's what she wanted clearly so it's just it's so fascinating you know there's that saying that um when when someone has a baby it's a a new person was in the room who hadn't come in through the door. Huh. And I've always loved that. And I just feel like suddenly, like we have a very vocal, strong presence in a, like we have someone new who lives with us. Yeah. She's very much a part of yeah. what happens on a daily basis. Yeah. It's not just put her over here. Right. And don't worry about her for a while. She interacts with yeah. us and with everything we're doing. My favorite thing now that she does is when she's eating in her high chair <laughs> And she sees something that she wants. And sometimes she will slam her open hand down on the piece of food (laughs) repeatedly until it sticks to her palm. she's trying to squash a bug. Right. Like she's trying to squash a bug. She'll do it until whatever it is. And she'll check each time until she sees it is stuck to her palm. And then she will shove her palm against her mouth and like eat it off of her palm. (laughs) She's very smart. It's the fun. Like she's like. I'm too busy to bother with fine motor skills and picking it up between my fingers daintily. I don't have time for that nonsense. I'm just going to slap it until it sticks to my hand and then eat it. The funny thing I think that you and I both have remarked on over the past couple of weeks is that now we have to grocery shop for her. Yeah, seriously. She is now factored into our groceries. Well, we have to plan cooking for her. Uh It's like, And we set aside our own food for her. What are we going to have for dinner tomorrow night? Let's have this. Okay, we need to make sure we buy enough to make, you know, a half portion for the baby. Yeah. It's just so crazy. Yep. So fun. It is. It is. And, of course, last night... Last night was really Last night was a strange flashback to the days when she wouldn't sleep. Yeah. Because we put her down at her normal time. Mm Mm-hmm. And for a while now, she's done this thing where she stays up for a little while when we put her down. And she's fine. She rolls around in her crib and she talks to herself and babbles and Mm -hmm. practices crawling and stuff like that in the crib. Well, last night, she stayed up and stayed up and then she started crying. And she was really upset. Yeah. And we let her cry for a little while and didn't, didn't fix anything. So you went in and got her. And we actually both went in. And we tried to calm her down. And she was nice and calm. And she was nice and calm. Mm-hmm. We put her down again. Actually, I will say, I, I just want to comment on yeah. that moment, too. You were singing her song, yeah. the one that puts her to sleep. And I was holding her. And we were just standing in her darkened nursery, rocking. And she did that thing where she, you know, tucked her own arms against her body and just nestled into me. So, she, so I've just got, you know, this heavy ball of love leaning on my chest. Right. And she's looking at you as you sing. And I almost started crying because... Not because I was upset, because I just thought, oh my gosh, like, this is the smallest she will ever be. Again, yeah, you know, right, like, she's right. never going to be smaller than she is at this moment. And it really is true. You know, she's 10 and a half months now, and we have a little bit of perspective in terms of how quickly it really does go. Right. And how fast they change. And it's so stupid to say, and I wanted to kill everyone who said this to me in the beginning. I wanted to kill them when they said... Enjoy every moment, even the bad ones, because they'll be gone soon. Right. And I was, I really wanted to just rage 
when someone said that because they were so those bad moments can be really bad. Yeah, they're really rough. Yeah, and but but like I get it now. Like yeah. you just have to just enjoy them because they are they do not last. And anyway, she was just all even ugh. even when when she was screaming or crying and wouldn't go to sleep. Yeah, back in the early days. You got to hold her uh-huh, and rock her. And we don't, we don't do that anymore. Look at that it's little nice. Face yeah. And those big old cheeks. Yeah. So anyway, anyway, so last night. So yeah, so she just wouldn't go to sleep and we, we sang to her and rocked her and put her down. Yeah, you know, we haven't done that in a long time. Yeah. Put her down and she just started crying again. And, uh. Well, and, it was weird. She was doing her like fussy cry, yeah. which is usually her leave me alone, guys. I'm ready right. for bed cry. And then she would roll around for a while, and right. then she would really cry again, and whatever. I ended up... You, tr- you yeah. tried basically repeating bedtime. her bedtime routine. I took her out of her crib. I went into our room. I gave her another bottle. Yeah. A couple of ounces. Read, read a book her to book. her again. Yep. Sang to her. Put her down again. And she was up until, like, midnight. It was literally, I think, 10 of 12. Yeah. Yeah. We were watching her on the monitor. We didn't go to bed, because we were, like, waiting for her to go to yeah. bed. And we waited and we waited and she was up that it whole was time. So and it weird. was crazy. Yeah. And uh, then, not crying, by the way. No, people. she was just, just she was just awake. Out. Just oh, hanging she pulled bed. herself up to standing. Yeah, she think. figured that and, out. Yeah, That's a so, new thing. So I obviously it's just I think brain stuff going on. But, yeah, she's just too interested yeah. in what's around her and what she can do and what her body can do. Yeah. That she can't fall asleep. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and last night that that sort of came to a head. Yeah. And it was just really really strange. Fascinating. Yeah. Well, the the benefit to that to last night was that she slept until eight thirty this morning. Yes, mommy got to sleep in, <laughs> which is phenomenal. So. I woke up at nine, and I was like, "Wait a minute, what the hell happened?" Here? <laughs> yeah, that was funny. All right, uh, so I want to circle back on something from two weeks ago that I mentioned. Ah. I had talked about the book "I Know How She Does It" yes. by Laura Vanderkamp, um, which. For those of you who didn't listen or need a quick refresher, um, it's this idea that sh- uh, that working women who earn a certain amount and have at least one child under the age of 18 at home, um, you know, the narrative out there is that uh, there's no time for anything. And the, it, it's such a tough work-life balance. And they run from work to home to work to home, and there's no time to do anything. And this, uh, this woman... Laura Vanderkamp, uh, encouraged people to keep time logs and then did a whole bunch of research on them and, you know, analyze them and whatnot. I was really intrigued by this. So I kept a time log for the week and it was really funny. It actually reminded me of like back when we used to keep time logs for Leia in terms of her sleep oh, and her right. napping and her eating and, yeah. blah, blah, blah. and I was like, wow. Uh, you know, it was just funny. It's, it's, first of all, it's an interesting experience and I actually recommend everyone do it for a week, no matter whether you think you have work-life balance issues or not. Because it was really cool to actually then take a look at everything I wrote down for the week. Um, And I had a couple of revelations. The biggest one, and it it makes me laugh because it thinks of my mom. It it makes me laugh because it makes me think of my mom, which is that I putter too much. I spent a lot of time puttering. And Laura addresses this in the book, and it's this idea that it kind of makes me think of you too, this, uh, like the found 20 minutes. Uh, so yes, I have 20 minutes to go right. Right. Whereas I do a sort of weird puttering thing where I'm like, well, it's this weird in between time between dinner and my shower or between my shower and bed or between writing and bed. You know what I mean? Like these in between times at night where I know I only have a few minutes. So I end up just puttering. Like I sort of half-heartedly put some things away around the house, half-heartedly straighten up or 
I just sit on the couch and scroll through Facebook. And, you know, so I, I just noticed that I had a, a particular um, amount of puttering time that I don't want to have. And she talks about that in the book, how it's important to, if, if that's bothering you, like, just be conscious of it. And then you can change that and make those minutes much more beneficial. Right. Um, but overall, I was really pleased with my log. Um, it is. It was the middle of August, so um, work was totally fine. I definitely worked le- fewer hours than I think one would think that I that I did, um, and my commute time was totally fine, with the exception of one day where I had a weird the F train had a weird problem, of course, shocker, and um, everyone got kicked out at Delancey Street, so that gave me an extra like twenty minute walk in the morning, which was really nice, and a obviously just a nice way to incorporate more exercise into my daily routine, but also just a nice way to sort of reflect before the the day began. I got to walk through the city and it was nice, you know, um, I had lots of baby time and that was really exciting to see. So you had more baby time than you thought. Much more than I thought. That's good. So that was really awesome. And I had a decent amount of writing time and it's certainly writing time is where I could extend even more if I stopped puttering. Right. Also equally important, I had plenty of you time and a lot of downtime to like watch TV and read. So, Good. um, anyway, so I thought it was I a really, mean, interesting let's face it. There, plenty of me time is like an hour a week. Yeah. You I don't, mean, that's you my don't limit. need much more than that. It's my very leg. Nobody limit. wants much more. That's why this podcast <laughs> is the length that it is <laughs> this because is the listeners, the listeners can't really handle much more of this. <laughs> of me than this. Anyway, so it was a really cool exercise. I would really, again, encourage people to do it. Um, even if you have no concerns about work-life balance, just because I thought it was a really interesting thing to do. Look at how you spend your time. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Thank you for reporting back. Of course. And I'm glad that it was good. I'm glad that you're not sitting here going, Oh my God, I don't know what I'm going to do. I have to change my whole life. (laughs) So that's good. Yeah, that's good. Um, so let's talk about, uh, what are you reading now or recommended reading? Uh, you know, that's tough for me. I just read your book today. Yeah. I can't really talk about that. Okay. And I am mentoring students, so I've been reading their stuff this week and I can't really talk about that. Yep. So I don't have anything to talk about right now. Um, yeah, that's it. Well, luckily I have something to talk about. Very good. Which is I finished, I read and finished a book this week that is probably my favorite book of the year so far. Wow. It's The Accident Season by Moira Fowley Doyle. And, like, I'm not kidding. This is my favorite book of the year so far. Great. It was phenomenal. I highly recommend it. You've had a good run of I books lately. I've had an astounding run of books. I hope that means something good uh, for me. <laughs> if nothing know. else, it means you've read a lot of good That's books. True. Exactly. Yeah. So, anyway, I... I I don't want to spoil anything. I, I will say what I think is so cool about this book. It's YA, by the way. Although um, I think it could easily be classified as adults just in terms of, I think, sophistication level of the book. Um, but it doesn't take place in America. It takes place in Ireland. And I actually didn't even, I knew nothing about, the, I didn't even know the author's name when you I bought the like, book. You're like, there's other countries? Right? Yeah. No, um, they read? <laughs> but I had a hunch somewhere around chapter two that it was in America. And then she mentioned sheep grazing in a meadow. And I was like, oh. And then she mentioned You know, Broadway. there are like, sheep in America. I know, I know. But it was just the way she was, you know, certain um, certain code words in the book made me realize, oh, this is in America. And then obviously I realized it wasn't. But anyway, highly, highly, highly recommended. Cool. That, that does make me want to say something, though. And maybe we'll talk about this later or maybe this is enough. But it is interesting, you know, being 
I, I think everybody from every country is very centric on to their country, yeah. obviously. So I always find it interesting when I read something and I re- and I realize, oh wait, this doesn't take place in America, or when I read something and this isn't a geographical bias, this is a temporal bias. When I read something and realize it's not set in the present. Ah. You know, like I remember the first time I read Vision Quest by Terry Davis. I didn't know anything about it. Somebody just gave me a copy of the book and said, oh, you should read this. Uh And I, again, knew nothing about it. And I opened it up and I read the first couple paragraphs and I thought, why is this guy talking about Richard Nixon? And then I I kept reading. I'm like, oh Oh. my God, this book takes place in the 70s. And, you know, it's just just one of those things where, you know, you... We have this prejudice that every yeah, book is set where we are yep. and set in our time. In our time, and it's just funny it's when not. you when you when you realize it's not. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So I think that's it. That's are, it. Yeah, we're we're done here for the week. We'll be back next week. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. You can visit us online at writinginreallife.com. Subscribe to us in iTunes, and while you're there, leave a rating or a comment. We like those comments. And don't forget, you can follow us on Twitter too. We're at. W-I-R-L podcast. Have a great week, everyone. Bye, everyone.